Hey everyone, before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to insert a quick disclaimer. Today's topic includes mature themes that aren't suitable for all audiences, and as always, we will be discussing some pretty spooky stuff, so listeners' discretion is advised. Thank you for your understanding, and without further ado, let's get into today's episode. If you have been listening to this show for a while, you would know that I am a sucker for a good theory, especially ones that lend a bit of legitimacy when it comes to the field of paranormal research. They say that flowing water, for instance, has a rather peculiar connection to the other side. Specifically, water is thought to act as a sort of battery that spirits can draw upon in order to manifest in a more physical state. Okay, at the surface level, the theory may seem a bit off the wall. But as we all know, the devil is in the details. So before you write this off as an illegitimate argument, let's look at this claim from a physics perspective. Flowing water in specific does possess kinetic energy, or rather energy by way of motion. So in this case, the energy is simply just the force behind the water's currents. Likewise, water contains potential energy as well, which, of course, can be transformed into its kinetic counterpart. Surely, you can see where I'm going with this. Being rich in potential energy, large flowing bodies of water, at least in theory, can provide a spirit with everything it needs to take on a more physical form. So, it stands to reason that paranormal phenomena will manifest at a much higher frequency in locations that are close to water. We've seen evidence of this theory in several of the haunts we've discussed so far. But if you want my opinion, none of those locations are quite as compelling as the one at 1126 Queens Highway in Long Beach, California. I'm Courtney Hayes, and you're listening to Haunts. Stay tuned. The RMS Queen Mary was a true testament to luxury transatlantic travel. Her story began in the 1930s when executives at the Cunard Line, a prestigious British shipping company, conceived the idea to build the most luxurious ocean liner the world had ever seen. It wasn't long before construction of this elegant ship commenced at the John Brown Shipyard in Clydebank, Scotland. During those early beginnings, the ship would prove to be a masterpiece of engineering, measuring over 1,000 feet in length and weighing an astonishing 81,000 tons. Oh, and with her sleek Art Deco design, from the moment of its inception, the liner was destined to be a queen of the seas. But before she could set sail, the ship would need a name that was fitting of this regal physique. So the plans were brought to King George V, who was told that the ship would be named for the greatest queen to reign over Great Britain, as long as they had his blessing, of course. And from there, well, things got a little awkward. You see, the Cunard directors were speaking of George's grandmother Victoria when they referred to the greatest queen of England. But whether George was aware of that fact or not, the king simply responded by smiling in approval. Then he stated 
that his wife Mary would be delighted to hear the news. Again, pretty awkward for the Cunard associates, but hey, they got the royal blessing that they were looking for. So they forged on with their plans to erect the world's grandest ocean liner, which they named the Queen Mary instead of for their beloved Queen Victoria. It took three years of meticulous craftsmanship and one royal faux pas. But by the spring of 1936, the Queen Mary was ready to set sail. So on March 27th, she embarked on her maiden voyage from Southampton, England to New York City. The world watched in awe as the majestic ship glided through the ocean, carrying over 2,000 passengers alongside a crew that was 1,200 strong. Throughout her early years, the Queen Mary became synonymous with refinement and elegance. On board, passengers indulged in opulent accommodations, lavish dining halls, and extravagant entertainment venues. The ship was even popular among more notable personalities, including Audrey Hepburn, Clark Gable, Winston Churchill, and even Queen Elizabeth herself. However, the onset of World War II brought a dramatic shift to the Queen Mary's future. By 1939, this elegant ocean liner was converted into an oppressive warship. And with Art Deco designs being somewhat less fashionable in the Pacific Rim, the Queen Mary was stripped of her luxurious amenities and painted a somber gray. The Grey Ghost, as she would be called throughout her service, now embarked on a new mission. Instead of carrying high-class passengers across a glass sea, the ship was now under strict orders to transport wary Allied troops across more treacherous waters. For six years, the vessel played a vital role in the war effort, traversing the Atlantic Ocean more than a thousand times, transporting over 800,000 troops in the process. The Grey Ghost, of course, faced numerous dangers during her wartime career, including German U-boats and unyielding storms. But her speed and agility proved to be more than helpful in evading those threats. And by the time that the war was over, the Grey Ghost found her way to calmer waters relatively unscathed. Following the war, the ship underwent extensive refurbishment, and in time, the Queen Mary was returned to her former glory, she resumed her transatlantic passenger service, captivating a new generation of travelers with her unmatched charm and elegance. This fact remained for the next two decades, while the Queen Mary once again became a symbol for luxury and sophistication. However, with the rising popularity of air travel on the horizon, her reign began to waver, and in 1967, she made her final transatlantic crossing and finally retired from service. But, as I'm sure you may have guessed, this was only the beginning of the Queen Mary's story. Because in 1968, she found a new home in the bustling port of Long Beach, California. It was there that the iconic ship was transformed into a floating hotel and museum, one that would forever preserve the Grey Ghost's chilling legacy. It was 1966, just one year before the Queen Mary reached retirement, 
when a harrowing tragedy unfolded. Well below her decks, in the belly of this behemoth vessel, the ship's engine room was, as always, encased in a boiling heat. It was here that John Petter worked as a laborer, feeding the steam engines that powered the ship. Needless to say, this wasn't a particularly comfortable job. The working conditions were always blisteringly warm, and given the relatively lax regulations when it came to occupational safety, well, it wasn't exactly a profession for the faint of heart. Now this is not to say that there weren't at least some precautions set in place. It's just that these measures were often more trouble than they were worth. On the day in question, for instance, John Petter and the rest of the engine crew was gearing up for a routine drill. Now given this specific line of work, the threat of accidental fires was relatively high. So, for the Queen Mary's engine crew, fire drills were commonplace. Just another day at the office, or so they thought. But by the time that this drill was over, well, things had taken a rather grim turn. You see, the Queen Mary, like most ocean liners, had a system of watertight fire doors. Nowadays, they are featured in the exhibit at the Queen Mary's Museum. But back when the ship was in active use, these doors were a preventative measure that would close during a fire or in the event that the ship was taking on water, at which point the engine crew would be ordered to evacuate the boiler rooms by racing directly underneath these heavy and fast-closing doors. So, on July 10, 1966, the fire drill commenced in the Queen Mary's boiler room. The crew followed their orders and vacated the premises as the doors began to shut. At first, all seemed to be going smoothly, but once the engineers found their way to the end of the corridor, they noticed that John Petter was nowhere in sight. In haste, a few members of the crew headed back to the boilers in the hope that they would find their lost companion, but instead, they stumbled upon a haunting scene. There, just a ways down the corridor, they discovered the body of young John Petter, crushed under the weight of door number 13. Apparently, John had made a last-second attempt to retrieve his toolset before evacuating the area, and in doing so, he was delayed, making it to the door just seconds before it fully closed. He was just 18 years old. The tale of John Petter is likely one of the Queen Mary's most chilling legends, but his story doesn't end here. In fact, they say that John Petter still roams that very corridor, only this time in a non-corporeal form. His spirit is often seen around the boiler rooms, where he is seemingly still in search of his tools. Other reports state that John is a rather noisy spirit, who has the distinct habit of knocking on the walls of the boiler rooms at night. But perhaps the most disturbing claim is that John's presence is most commonly felt just outside of door number 13, the very place where he lost his young life. So it would seem that John Petter's ghost is desperately trying to warn others of the dangers that lay below the deck.
By now, we all know that water is energetically connected to the other side. So, at least in my opinion, it isn't at all surprising that the most haunted location aboard the Queen Mary is none other than the first-class swimming pool. Perhaps it's for this very reason that the pool area is currently off-limits to all visitors and guests. But back when the Queen Mary was still in operation, this spot was fairly popular amongst her passengers, some of whom are apparently still enjoying this amenity today. One of the Queen Mary's most recognizable spirits, for example, is that of a young girl named Jackie, whose ghostly presence can often be felt, splashing joyfully through the waters that once filled this Lido. Although I should mention that Jackie's story is a rather somber one. According to legend, Jacqueline Jackie Torin was actually a second-class passenger who had likely been traveling with her parents on a transatlantic voyage. She was just six years old when she first stepped foot on the Queen Mary, and for such a young girl, this regal ship must have felt more like a castle filled with endless wonders to explore. At some point during her voyage, Jackie found her way to the second-class swimming pool, with intentions of playing cheerfully with the other children. Carefully, she treaded across the slippery tiles and eventually reached the pool's edge. There, without hesitation, she took the plunge into the cool, refreshing waters, but tragically, she never returned to the surface. Since that fateful day, the second-class swimming pool has been renovated into an assortment of museum exhibits and offices. So, it is said that Jackie's spirit has now taken up residence at the first-class pool instead. According to the staff of this floating hotel, it is not uncommon for the sounds of laughter and splashing to be heard emanating from the area, even though the pool has long been drained. And if that's not eerie enough, then it's worth mentioning that small wet footprints are often found leading away from the perpetually locked doors of the first-class pool, sending chills up the spines of all who encounter them. Now, like I said, Jackie is perhaps the most recognizable spirit aboard this ship. However, she is not the only specter believed to be lurking here. In fact, at least according to one of my sources, the pool's changing boxes are rumored to be the epicenter of the Queen Mary's paranormal activity. And so it is believed that these rooms act as a gateway, or rather a portal, between this world and the next. When sharing ghost stories about the Queen Mary, you can't get very far without mentioning stateroom B340. It has long been said that this is the most haunted stateroom on the entire ship, and as such, B340 has gained a somewhat menacing reputation. Unlike the other legends that I have mentioned earlier in the episode, the entities that dwell within this space are more foul in nature. In fact, B340 spent a long stint being closed to the public due to the ongoing complaints about aggressive paranormal activity 
from countless guests staying in this room. Now it is true that Stateroom B340 has since reopened to hotel guests. You can even book these haunting accommodations on the Queen Mary's website, which, as always, I will have linked in today's show notes. But the question still remains, who, or rather, what, is haunting this infamous room? So the story goes, an unknown man booked third-class passage from Southampton to America on the Queen Mary's final voyage. Inconspicuously, he boarded the ship and settled in for a 39-day-long journey across the pond. It was October 31, 1967, a fitting night for the terror that would eventually ensue. You see, toward the end of this final transatlantic trek, this unknown traveler snapped, murdering two of his fellow passengers in the process. Now, needless to say, the crew couldn't have a murderer at large on the ship, so when they finally apprehended this individual, they took him to his third-class stateroom that would act as a makeshift brig until they reached their scheduled stop in New York the following day. After they placed the assailant in the small, modestly furnished room, they shut the door and locked it from the outside. Then, a guard was posted outside the stateroom as an extra precautionary measure. It wasn't long before this very guard began to hear pounding on the stateroom door. Then the man began calling out, claiming there was something in his room that was trying to kill him. The guard ignored these cries, understandably thinking that this was the prisoner's poor attempt to escape the confines of his room. This assumption was only solidified when the passenger eventually quieted down, indicating to the guard that he had given up on the charade. Come the following morning, the stateroom was reopened by members of the NYPD, but instead of finding the suspect involved in a double homicide, they came across a grisly scene. Apparently, upon entering the room, they discovered that the accused had quite literally been ripped apart by an unknown force. Or so they claim, although I should mention that I couldn't find any concrete evidence that this was anything more than a particularly gruesome legend. But even so, it is this very story that has sparked rumors of paranormal activity inside the very stateroom that we know today as B340. Regardless of where the haunting origins truly lie, it's no secret that the Queen Mary leans into the sinister reputation of B340. In fact, the room comes furnished with an array of occult items, including a Ouija board, protection crystals, and even a large crystal ball. Not to mention, the room itself is known for poltergeist-like activity that will often keep its guests up at night. Oh, and one of the most common reports yet again leads back to running water. Specifically, in B340's bathroom, where the sink has the distinct habit of turning on and off by itself. Perhaps it's for this reason that the Queen Mary has included the rules to our not-so-favorite childhood game, Bloody Mary, right there next to the sink. But of course, that's not all, because whatever is haunting the stateroom is anything if not active. Over the years, 
guests staying in this room, have complained of lights turning on and off by themselves, doors slamming shut when no one is around, and perhaps most disturbing, a loud pounding echoing from the stateroom door, almost as if the spirit of this murderous passenger is still trying to escape the horrors of B340. By now it should be apparent why the RMS Queen Mary has a reputation for being the world's most haunted ship. But don't just take my word for it, because the lore surrounding this vessel and her hauntings are riddled with first-hand accounts. So before we end today's episode, I would like to leave you with one final story. It was back in 2019 when sci-fi writer Julie Tremaine stayed the night in B340. Of course, she had heard the rumors, the ones claiming that this was one of the most haunted hotel rooms in all of the United States. But for Julie, that was somewhat of a plus. After all, she was an expert when it came to all things paranormal. In fact, she was traveling with a team of paranormal investigators, led by none other than Amy Bruni of TAPS. Her night in B340 began with an investigation of the room itself, during which she and the team communicated with a handful of spirits who weren't exactly welcoming of their guest. Then, at around 2 a.m., the team departed, well, aside from Julie, who had booked the room for herself. Once her companions had gone, Julie set up an SLS camera in the corner of the room. Now, as a quick aside, SLS cameras can supposedly map out figures that are not visible to the human eye. So, it was the ideal piece of equipment to document the room while she slept. After she hit record, Julie climbed into the single queen-size bed, leaving the lamp on as she went. She closed her eyes and tried to sleep, but even in spite of her jet lag, Julie remained restless. An hour passed, and Julie lay there wide awake staring at the ceiling. Then, at exactly 3 a.m., an unmistakable whisper reached her ears that was coming from somewhere outside her door. Likely assuming that this was another guest who thought the witching hour was an appropriate time for sightseeing, Julie climbed out of bed and swung open the door, only to discover an empty hallway, devoid of any human life. The next morning, Julie eagerly reviewed the footage, captured by her SLS camera, anticipating any potential evidence of the paranormal. And in doing so, she made an unwelcome discovery. At some point during the night, while she was completely unaware, an unseen visitor had entered her room. There, in the corner of the frame, a figure loomed ominously, mere inches away from where Julie had slept none the wiser. And as near as she could tell, it seemed that this figure had been watching her throughout the night, its presence only captured by the camera's gaze. This episode of Haunts was written and produced by me, Courtney Hayes. If you've been enjoying the show so far, I would greatly appreciate it if you could leave us a review. A lot of work goes into each episode, and supporting the show in this way really helps us reach more listeners each week. 
It's entirely free and takes about 30 seconds, and it would genuinely mean the world to me. Also, if you're interested in learning more about today's topic, I greatly encourage you to check out the show notes section on our website at hauntscast.com. This is the location where I share my sources and provide any visual aid that may be referenced during the show. Finally, I would love to connect with you online. You can find me on Instagram at hauntscast, or you can join our email list for updates about the show. Thank you again for listening, and until next time, happy haunting.